Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 115. Sometimes the clothes do not make the man. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that covers everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around I'm going to be turning my attention back to music and back to the music of the 1990s. It's a decade I've covered quite a bit already, and most of the time I've covered it, I've had my wife Amanda along for the ride, and guess what? She's here for this one. We sat down for an hour and a half or so to talk about the George Michael song Freedom 90, which debuted 30 years ago this year, as well as its iconic music video. In fact, we're even going to do a commentary on the music video, so there's a little bit of a user participation thing going on here. After our discussion of the video, we'll then segue into a talk about supermodels and fashion, Speaking about what we remember about the fashion industry in the early 90s, as well as some of our favorite movies and shows that center around the world of fashion. So here's our conversation, and I'll come back after that to wrap things up. I always have you on for music. That's fine by me. <laughs> I like the, music. It's one of the few things that we, um, like we can do movies and TV. TV, I think, is the other thing that we, we probably have enough in common and enough outside that it's like meshing. It's not like with movies and stuff where I'm, I feel like I'm pulling you into <laughs> you, you have <laughs> reference black hole. <laughs> yeah, like you, you've seen movies I've never seen before. Yeah, although the funny thing is, is like, um, although this is not, this is not one of these cases because I, I knew I knew this this video and the song before I met you, but there are there are artists and stuff who I probably wouldn't have um, ventured to really seriously consider listening to beyond what was on the radio if I had not met you. Mm. So you weren't a Wham fan as a kid. I was. I did like um, "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" because I I, <laughs> well, I, I, distinct, I have a distinct memory of being in elementary school at the bus stop and somebody had a boombox. And they had that tape. Were they break dancing on cardboard? I don't know why they had a boombox <laughs> with a wham tape. <laughs> I, I, and it was not. It was. It had to be eighty. The eighty. It might have been eighty four, eighty five. It was. I was like second or third grade, you know. And 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 I always thought that song was cool because, like, when you're eight years, seven, eight years old, and it's a, you know, it's a catchy song. Yeah. So so this is George Michael in nineteen ninety. 
where, but before we get into 1980, I think we need to just, I need to, you do need to do a little bit of background on, on him. So he was in Wham! Make It Big came out, what, 84, 85 with Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. And the song that, the song that is the reason this is called Freedom 90, which is freedom. Yes. Um, and then, of course, Careless Whisper is the last song on the album, but it was, I think it was, uh, the video was like credited to Wham featuring George Michael or oh, something I don't like that. It was some weird thing. I just or, always think of it as Wham. Yeah, although it's it's kind of a, I think it was like a totally him thing, or it was kind of the, it was kind of the last gasp of the group, but it was like him kind of launching his solo career. And then he, he has, between, um, that is for so um, he does have that duet with Aretha Franklin. I knew you were waiting for me. That's a good duet, and it is a very very good song. And but then he comes out in in um, eighty seven with Faith, and Faith is it's certified diamond, which is ten million albums sold. It was the highest. It, it was it came out late late eighty seven into eighty eight, and it was as far as the way charts are measured, it is the um, like number one album like around that period or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that's a lot. That's saying a lot, considering if you think of albums that came out in 1987, The Joshua Tree, mm-hmm. Appetite for Destruction, mm-hmm. uh, Whitney, yep. Sign of the Times, um, and then you have Michael Jackson coming out with Bad, which did not sell as well as Thriller, but it was still, you know, that was still an event. And then you have like, you know, this is kind of the 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 height the stratospheric height of some of the hair metal bands because you have girls 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 comes out that year and that that again that got a lot of play mm-hmm. Def Leppard's Hysteria yeah and we also have um, both Debbie Gibson and Tiffany debut that year as well as one of the biggest albums of the year which was like the Dirty Dancing soundtrack so like 1987 is just a loaded year for, for pop music um, and and I wanted to um, I wanted to bring it up because Faith has this image of him that he deliberately destroys in the video. Um, well, freedom, not ne- not necessarily faith. You know, faith has this image that he deliberately yeah. stores in the video for freedom. For freedom, sorry, yes. Sorry. I should have finished my sentence. Which is interesting because if you think about faith, faith was such a departure from his persona and wham. Yeah. So you've got two kind of reinventions, which both times you're probably thinking like, because let's face it, people who go solo in, from groups aren't always super successful. No. And so there's that doubt. And then he had Faith, which was massive. And then he's coming out with his second solo album. And sometimes, and you know, a lot of times people can't always do it yeah. twice. Yeah. So it's this interesting piece where he's burning things down twice. Yeah. And honestly, like, I was trying to think of people who went, who had a huge debut solo album after leaving a group. I don't know if Michael qualifies because. He I think had, Michael definitely. Well, I don't know, but well, I don't know he was Uncle such a was kid. Yeah, yeah. So all, yeah Michael, Michael is is kind of the template. But you have in more modern time, they more contemporary to him. Even though he never really maintained the popularity, Bobby Brown was pretty popular after oh, leaving yeah. New Edition. Robbie Williams had a pretty good first solo album after leaving um, Take That. Take That. 
Harry Styles, I want to say. It's probably, Harry Styles yeah. is having a big career. Um, and then you have, of course, you have Beyonce. I was about to say, I know you were not going to leave yeah, Beyonce, Beyonce out. And the other one um, uh, would probably be uh, Justin Timberlake. Yeah. You know, I mean, just in terms of just like album sales. Yeah, he had a couple group. of albums that yeah. were popular. I mean, Man of the Woods was garbage. Yeah. And so was the other one. Yeah, but Beyonce. Let's Beyonce, face it, the first two are the only two that are decent. Yeah, Beyonce is kind of up there with, with Michael in that she has had albums that have sold and sold and sold beyond just like the one thing, you know? Well, and the, and kind of like, you know, Beyonce and George Michael, ever, especially the last couple of albums, you're, Beyonce is always burning something down from before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Not all, not her entire image, but like pieces of it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 we know that. Um, and one of the things he's talked about, he talked about in interviews um, around the time that the album that this came out, the video that this came out uh, from, was uh, called "Listen Without Prejudice" Volume One, and uh, it, it did not sell as well as Faith did. Granted, it's hard to top 10, 11 million albums. Well, but also Faith came out. The first single off of Faith was Faith, which is. Still slaps. Mm-hmm. And I think the first single off of the second album was Freedom 90. It Wasn't was, it? was... No, it was Praying for Time. Oh, that's what it... Yeah, single yeah. off of, of Listen, Listen Out Without Prejudice. That's um, right. And that was the reason why I do... I think one of the things that was challenging is that song is a sleepy-ass song. Mm-hmm. Praying for Time. It's hard to come out with a ballad. Yes, It's it hard is. to have your ballad be your first single. Yeah. Yeah, and he had like, and he had like three or four songs off of Faith that still do really well, you know, still hold up really well. I want your sex is kind of, it's almost a novelty song. Well, Father Figure is Father the, Figure's the other yeah, big song. Yeah. That's the ballad off of that album. Um, well, and isn't um, uh, is it one, one more time? One no, one more try. One more try. Yes, that's another. That's one. a that's a belter. So, um, listen to that prejudice sold two million. Again, it could be a success, but when you have to consider Faith sold five right. times that, and you think of other albums that do that, the sophomore slump, and you, there, you have you have so many of them. You have, well, Guns N' Roses never was able to follow up on Appetite for, in the way that, you know, in terms of the success there. And then you have, um, oh, into the 90s, like Alanis Morissette's second album. Yeah. Was, you know, so Fiona Apple. Fiona's Apple's second album, even though it was, it was well-received, just didn't, you know, we're just Even like the jewel, or like if you if you run yeah. down the whole love affair thing, like yeah. a lot. I mean, except Sarah McLaughlin, she had she's had multiple albums. Yeah. Liz Fair, oh Liz my Fair, god, yeah. that that pop album. What were you doing? Yeah. So he had said it was in a 2004 interview. He had said by the end of the Faith tour, I was so miserable because I, and, and part of it was his sexuality, mm-hmm. and that you know he was he was a I hate to use the phrase boy band, but he was like. Teen pop idol in Wham. It was a very pop sound. Yeah, yeah. and then and he was a heartthrob. Yeah, it was a heartthrob, and yeah. then and then they just went for the edgier heartthrob in, mm-hmm. in Faith. Well, especially. it was this hyper masculine. Like he had scruff. Yeah, and he was wearing like leather and jeans, yeah. and then like father figure and I want your sex both or him like all up with a woman. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know they yeah. just went hyper masculine. Yeah, because even Wham wasn't because by virtue of being the eighties, a lot of pretty men in the eighties just had that sort of. Oh, yeah. Feminine kind of vibe anyway. And, you know, when your first video is you in short shorts and a pastel sweatshirt, it's kind of hard to be <laughs> like what, you know, people think of as classically masculine. Oh, yeah. But he but he talks about, he said that, um, I just want to get the quote right, he said, because I absolutely knew I was gay, 
you know, I didn't want to suddenly come out. I wanted to do it in some kind of dignity. So I thought, okay, you have to deconstructing this, start deconstructing this whole image. And he did not want to appear in his videos. Mm -hmm. And, um, he didn't actually for a while, like there, there's, he's at the very end of too funky, I think, where he's like the guy behind the camera. And then the, the video, um, outside, which is, very late nineties, mm-hmm. early two thousands, where he's poking fun at the, um, the getting busted at getting the busted park. in the park in the bathroom. Yeah, and he's dressed up like a cop. He's dressed up like a cop. Yeah, which is actually a very very funny video. But it's, by then he's leaning fully into oh yeah, and it's what like, he is. Yeah, and he and well he, not what he is, but you know what his yeah yeah yeah, and he's is, and he's yeah. being very tongue. He's 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 wonderfully tongue in cheek. Oh yeah, video, it's so. very campy. Um, but at this point he he didn't, and then he was inspired. Was that a David LaChapelle video? I don't remember. Anyway, uh, sorry. I didn't mean I to get you off track. Remember, just made me, it's he, just so colorful. He was inspired for the video by the, um, the night, uh, it was like January 1990, I believe, cover of British Vogue. Yeah, and uh, that is the, not her Brits, but um, the, the Peter other. Peter Lindbergh. Peter Lindbergh. According to the. Yes, Peter, yeah. it is Peter. Yeah. I was like, yeah. her Brits is basically. Yeah. So, uh, baby Peter Lindbergh. <laughs> so he, he looked for, so he got, he looked for, and he, and he went out and, and came up with this concept of getting these five supermodels who are on this cover Naomi Campbell, Cindy Crawford, Linda Evangelista, I'm going to, Tatiana, Tatiana Patiz, and Christy Turlington to lip sync the, what is the video, which is, was for its day was a kind of a revolutionary idea because most models and videos were the girlfriends of, um, Tawny Katane type Katane, of people, Christy Brinkley, yeah, Pauline Poroskova. You know, they they were they were accessories, and if they were not famously wedded to the um, to the lead singer, they were just simply eye candy. Yeah, this is right around the time that Warren puts out Cherry Pie. I mean, like you know, the, yeah. <laughs> so 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 this is this kind of turns that on its head a little bit. And um, I've got a great quote from Linda Evangelista because this is a video that really is it, it, it elevated the song. the uh, The song itself peaked at number eight on the Billboard Hot 100. The video, which did not win Best Video at the VMAs, by the way, um, what did win? That was the year Losing My Religion won. Oh God, I hate fucking. Yeah. And that video got played. Oh you know my God, that, God, that song. Yeah. So Linda Evangelista is quoted in a in a 2015 Vanity Fair article saying because she was pretty reluctant to do the video. And she said that he thought, George, um, thought it would make us into a big deal, that it was good for us. I was like, please, we're here. We've already arrived. And she said, little did I know that to this day when someone meets me for the first time, they bring up that video. That's what they remember. So, yeah, George was right. So, yeah. And he hires somebody who by that time was a really well-known video director in David Fincher. Mm-hmm. Um, David Fincher now has, has really been, I was trying to figure out who else has made the leap from video to feature directing in a, in the way that David Fincher has. And I can't think of anybody else. Yeah. I mean, well, it was so funny that you mentioned the, the losing my religion video because that was directed by Tarsum Singh, mm-hmm. who then went on to direct the cell, the Jennifer Lopez. And, yeah. yeah. And then another movie that, um, I'm blanking on, sorry, I'm pulling off. I don't have notes. I'm pulling this all out of my brain. <laughs> Um, and he went to, uh, direct another film that actually got better reviews, obviously, than The Cell. The Cell was a terrible movie. But he's definitely got that very distinct visual style, the way David Fincher does. Yeah. So, you can almost tell. 
when something like that happens. And then you think about like Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, who did the Tonight Tonight video for Smashing Pumpkins. Mm -hmm. They've done a couple of movies. I think they might have done um, Little Miss Sunshine might have been one of their movies. And then you've got um, Francis Lawrence, who's done yeah. a bunch of videos and did um, the Hunger, the first Hunger Games movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not probably in the streak of David Fincher, yeah, and- but you can definitely see some of the times where a, a music video director, their visual style translates into the way they shoot movies. But like, like for instance, you know, if you ever saw a movie by Hype Williams, there would be a fish island somewhere. Yeah, well, and and and. Um- the, one of the first people to make that transition was Russell Mulcahy, who directed. I mean, Highlander is not the success <laughs> that Seven and The Social Network are, but Russell Mulcahy directed a lot of the classic uh, Duran Duran videos of the early '80s. Mm. So things like and they uh, always look like mini movies, like Wild Boys and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Hungry yeah, Like so. the Wolf and stuff like that always look yeah, like so, a mini movie. Yeah, so so he he made a transition, and he's been kind of like a workman during the director and some other people have, but for the most part, yeah, Fincher's kind of stands alone because after directing this and, and a couple other things, he goes on to direct. Um, now his, his, one of his feature debuts is his feature debuts, alien three, which is a, was a movie that the studio basically messed with so much. He has disowned it more or less um, because they basically, the Fox decided to, to mess with it. And we all know that when a studio messes with a director, it really always turns out well. Uh, but then he would go on to... What could go wrong? Yeah, he would go on to Seven, The Game. He's been nominated for two Oscars, one for The Social Network, the other one for um, The Curious Case of uh, Benjamin Button. Okay. Gone Girl. He's directed episodes of um, uh, House of Cards. Yeah, so he... he David Fincher is he's up there with, like, you know the name and he has a certain style in terms of... In terms of like his movies, well, and even with his videos, I mean, if you look at um, "Respect Yourself" mm-hmm. by Madonna, which he directed the video for that, and you look at "Freedom '90," yeah, you can see parallels. Even though we all, you know, uh, "Respect Yourself" was based on a movie, yeah. like the look of a movie, but yeah. um, that sort of he's he's definitely got he's definitely yeah. got some visual uh, signatures. Yeah, so his just a few a few that was you know "Express Yourself," um, Vogue. He did. He did. Mm-hmm. Janie's, Janie's got a gun. The color palette of Janie's got a gun, and the color palette of this are very, very similar. similar. That They're, sort of cool blue. Yeah, they came out around the, the right time. The same yeah. time. Uh, he did Don Henley's The End of the Innocence, and um, like five Paula Abdul videos. Straight up, cold hearted, forever your girl, and the way that you love me. Oh, and I had no idea. Cold hearted snake. Yeah, wow, cold hearted. So he he fifty five music videos over the course of his career. Oh, that's interesting. Pretty prolific, including the the hit uh, "We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off." We <gasps> <laughs> could drink some cherry wine. Because that I have to imagine that tastes Jermaine like Stewart. Cough. I have to imagine that tastes like cough syrup. <laughs> Cheer wine. <laughs> this made me wonder: Has Mark Romanek ever done a movie? I think he has, but I don't think I looked it. Because when I think of yet. the directors again, who kind of have that Mark Romanek to me, I sometimes I can tell what videos he's directed, and sometimes I can't. I don't think his signature is as consistent. Um, Let's see, uh, things that we may have heard of. Um, he did some Beyonce videos. Uh, he did parts of Lemonade. Yeah. 
With lots of people worked on Lemonade. He did um, some episodes. Oh, he directed the movie adaptation of Never Let Me Go. Oh, which I have yet to see. And the Robin Williams movie One Hour Photo. Oh, he heard the crazy guy yeah, the yeah. Thing. And I, I think those good. are the two that... So Fincher, I just wanted to bring up Fincher because Fincher is just, again, it's like he's in the pantheon of well-known video directors, especially from the 90s. He, we right. mentioned Mark Romanek and... Mick G later on <laughs> yeah. in the decade, and, and um, Herb Ritz, who was a photographer to begin with, but Herb Ritz around this time also directed the Chris Isaac... Uh, and the Cherish video, video yeah. for Madonna. So um, so this is the age of the big music video. And like, Love Will Never Do Without You. Yeah, yeah. So this is With the Jane. age of the big music video that is not done by Michael Jackson. You know, this is... Because you know, Michael Jackson had two huge music videos early, earlier in the, in the 80s directed by two Hollywood directors because John Landis... Mm-hmm. Um, did Thriller, and then Martin Scorsese did the, the video for, for Bad. Bad. Mm-hmm. But this is the opposite. This is when people were... Soon after Fincher's like career was huge, and they started putting director credits on Video credits. On mm-hmm. um, so the, the image that's deconstructed is three things in Faith, which are the motorcycle jacket that he wore, the guitar that he was uh, Playing. strumming, yeah. and the jukebox. Yes. That he got. The other thing about this video is it kind of stuck up on you. It wasn't like you weren't waiting for it the way like like we found out Bad was directed by Martin Scorsese and there was like a TV event to debut it and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. It like Freedom just they you know they just kind of debuted it on MTV. It wasn't like you know oh it's the new Madonna video or you know anything like that. It was you know it just kind of appeared. Yo, I was going to ask you where, so you first saw this on MTV, right? Yes. I'm going to assume, because I saw this on, um, you know, I didn't, not having cable, there were um, times when I could go to friends' houses and watch MTV, but also at the time, um, Friday Night Videos was still mm-hmm. a, uh, it was still a running thing. And um, there was also, funny enough, for a very brief moment in the early 1990s, before I think they just moved NBA inside stuff with the Madra shot into that slot, NBC used to have a Saturday morning videos show. Okay. And so that's where I first saw this video. Well, as you know, I was a latchkey kid who spent a lot of time alone while my parents were commuting from D.C. So I'd come home from school, throw on MTV, do homework, do whatever. And so... I'd have MTV on from, like, the time I got home until my parents got home. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't, like, it's not like I'm, like, I can remember the day and time I I first saw it. I just probably had it on, and then they probably played it, and then there it was. So. All right. So we are queuing up the video. Let me pause. And to get your attention, because it starts with a tea kettle going off. Yeah. So let me... I'd also like to mention that we are doing this episode the same week that Last Christmas came out. I think it debuted, uh, like, maybe the 2nd, December 2nd or 3rd. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know. All right. So, um, we're going to try to do commentary for the video. It's a 6 minute, 35 second video. The one we pulled up on YouTube is the official video on the George Michael official YouTube channel. It can't so, get more uh, official, guys. Well, yeah, I just wanted to let you know because sometimes people upload these videos and their stuff, you know, and, and we've already we've already watched through the Jake from State Farm ad, so we've got it paused. Right I can't there. believe you didn't put that in here. <laughs> right. It's not official now. So we have it paused, and let me make sure the TV is not muted and the volume is up. So we're going to go ahead and just kind of talk over for six minutes. We'll see how this goes. Okay.
So, you're talking, you were right about the... Linda and the blonde hair. Yeah, she, like, dyed it for this. And this actually, from what I understand, is the the CD player going, which is interesting how you can see the inside laser, is a reference to the Faith video, which begins with the jukebox. The jukebox, yeah, the... Yeah. Um, and what's... People probably thought that was George singing until yeah. they zoomed out and showed that it was a model. Yeah. Now, apparently, what they did was they storyboarded this whole thing so that none of the models actually needed to be on the set the same day, except for, I think... Um, Oh, Naomi. Naomi. Yeah. Um, I think Naomi and Christy have a scene together, and that's the only time they're on the same thing. Mm -hmm. Her outfit is very of its time. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's funny is how, like, Linda Evangelista is not, what she's wearing does not look dated. No. She could wear that. You could have that makeup, hair, and outfit. And you could walk out today. Yeah. See, that's... When I cut my hair short, that's what I think I look like. And then <laughs> I realize I just kind of yeah. look like a sad man. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, st I have the same cheekbones, though. Thank you very much. Well, that's I, the only thing we have in common. What I, what I like about this, though, is that, like you know, like we said, it's not dated, it's, but it's still of its time. And that's hard to pull off, especially when you're talking pop. Well, the fact that Naomi's got on, like, corded headphones, yeah. you know what decade it is. Yeah, that's true. And there's Christy in a bedsheet. Looking, rank, looking yeah. regal as fuck. I know. It's, what's funny is this is one of those times where um, I was so used to her having long hair. Yeah. Yeah. She's always kind of had yeah. mid-length, though. The other thing that I noticed, too, in watching this, and I'm not going to sit here and count it, is how many cuts are in this video. Lo well, even just the, the shot of her walking in with the sheet, they must have just, that must have been like ten cuts Yeah. in that one part. And uh, so the, the jacket's lit on fire, and we're just going to keep coming back to the image, and then we get... Oh, and and we'll get um, we'll get the the jukebox and the guitar blowing up on the word freedom, which yes. again not subtle, but yeah. <laughs> well, and the male model is basically in that outfit. Yes, he's in jeans and like a leather jacket and whatever. Yeah. You kind of feel bad for the male model. Well, I don't because I like it when women get more attention, but like. The, the poor male models, nobody yeah. knows who the fuck they are. I knew who Cindy Crawford was before seeing this video. Well, every, a lot of people knew every tween boy yeah. knew. That's why they put her in the tub. Yeah. <laughs> Come for Cindy in the tub, stay for Christy in a bedsheet, <laughs> and Tatiana. And Tatiana was probably the least famous of the women models in here because she wasn't the Trinity and she wasn't Cindy. And for people who don't know, yeah. the Trinity is Linda, Naomi, and Christy. Yeah, yeah. And Cindy, is this before or after the Pepsi commercial? I I'd have to look it up. It, it, but the Pepsi commercial is the other thing. That's I told you, I'm flying with no notes. Yeah. I have no idea. I Now, we used to see this on pop-up video all the time. Yes. And I want to say they had Cindy, like, in um, Vaseline or oiled up or something yeah. for the sake of... I remember one, some either house of style or model thing or some interview or something. They asked all the models, like, 
who do you think had the best, like, setup? Uh-huh. And her saying, like, it was freezing. <laughs> and she was like, you know, you're either oiled up or you're whatever. Yeah. And um, that's usually how it goes when you're modeling. Yeah. Like, it's fucking cold and you're uncomfortable yeah. and you have to look like you're having the time of your life. Yeah. And each of them was, or at least the ones that were managed by Elite Models, paid $15,000 for the, the thing. This song... To use modern parlance, slaps. It does slap. There's the samples from a James Brown. Or you song. could say it's a bop. It's both. Yeah, it's but it's the the bass, the guitar. This whole bridge is just yeah, so good. Well, and too funky is great too. Oh, too I funky mean, like really George Michael, his solo career was was great. Yeah. I like the whole. Um, this is very Duran Duran. Yeah, <laughs> this whole Christie kind of looking through looking some lights, sort of light. strip of lights. Yeah. Like a prowling or something. You totally. <laughs> Men scratching their asses. I don't even think that was for the ladies. I don't want to see you scratch your ass. These days, what's funny is that you would not have her smoking a cigarette these days. It's yeah. kind of something that doesn't. The coolness of smoking is not something that gets. Uh, well, she's supposed to be like disaffected. Oh, I know, but like, you know. It is very. Um, French film. Yeah. <laughs> French new wave about it. Yeah. Cindy finally got to get some clothes. Yeah. Good for her. Uh, the under sweater shot. Yeah. <laughs> there goes the guitar. Yeah, yeah there goes the guitar. Later. Yeah, they did the jukebox earlier. And, and Naomi's wearing this sheer thing, which again. Yeah. Very much of its time. Yeah. None of these women, like, you look at them now. But they they, they all look the like, same. Yeah, I swear to I God, mean, they made deals with the devil. They all got a portrait in their attic. Yeah. That looks, like, you know, terrible. Although, I gotta say, I prefer Christy's short hair, like, wet. The way they had it at the end, she looks a little, is a little too Mia Farrow for me. Yeah. Although, Mia Farrow had a fantastic haircut. Linda, get the tea kettle. It's a lot of shit. <laughs> so, of course, Linda Evangelista is the one who is either quoted or misquoted. I don't know if that's an urban legend or what is saying she wouldn't get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. Is no, that, that's a real that's quote. That's a real quote. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't remember if that was an actual yeah. one or not. Yeah. Well, and they also, a lot of them used to make deals where they would only fly to and from Europe on the Concorde. Mm. So part of their contract would be, I'm only going to fly on the Concorde. I don't know what the hell they did when the Concorde stopped flying, yeah. but for a while that was the that was the deal. So, um, like I said, this video now it would I think it would be cut here. And it would be probably truncated here and there for airings. Well, the shot the they saw you you saw of Cindy from the front in the tub where you can kind of see yeah, more yeah. boob than usual. I think that I could I could swear that that was cut out of like the MTV cut. I could see standards being like that's too much boob. Yeah, yeah, it is very possible too, especially considering and and they probably threw maybe a radio edit version of the song yeah. the video together as well because again, a six and a half minute song. This is around the time that MTV is is still they're still running plainly videos, and I think like Club MTV and Remote Control, but they're not they're not into the real world yet. That's still a couple years off, so they haven't started to replace all their video programming. Right, and even November Rain would get truncated when 
they would run that um, oh, yeah. sometime, but they ran that like a million times. Um, well, and a lot of times this video, I remember it would start not with the T and Linda turning the CD player on. It would just start with the, the drop of the beat yeah. and the CD player is already on yeah, and, yeah. and go that way. So that's like what, cutting like a good 20, 30 seconds off the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So um, and we, I think we did a pretty good job of, of just kind of talking over it. Like, you know, you look at the, it's very... For for a video that has a million cuts in it, it's very clear in, in the message that he's sending, you mm-hmm. know, and the fashion and the, the color palette is so 1990, yet at the same time... I think it's, yeah, I think it's pretty timeless, too. It's pretty I'm, timeless. I think Naomi had the, which makes sense if you know Naomi, Naomi had the most of the time fashion mm-hmm. on, which makes sense. Yeah. I wonder if she negotiated that. Yeah. Well, because somebody had pointed out, because, too, she's got that, that off of the beginning with the really, really chunky boots, too. The chunky boots, the little boy shorts, and the, the bra top. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is um, which I think was probably something Madonna had yeah, very Madonna as well. Yeah, yeah. So it but, could have even been Gautier Also, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like so Madonna's costumes. Well, and this and this this um, this kind of segues into the into the other thing that we wanted to talk about when it came to this video, which is that this is um, this is the early '90s where you had like supermodels who were you know who were regularly on the cover of Vogue and Cosmo and and, and all these things, and and um, there was years ago. There was a VH1 special called like when supermodels rule the world and they talked specifically about this. So I wanted to kind of segue into just kind of a brief thing about fashion because it's not something that we've ever actually covered on the show. And yet, again, you're pretty much the reason I know anything regarding actual fashion like well because because i was trying to think about this because um like one thing i was wondering like you know who are the early supermodels and we always see like this whole thing about janice dickinson claiming she's the first supermodel but even my cursory knowledge of fashion before the 1980s thinks like if there was a supermodel before janice dickinson i think of somebody like twiggy yeah she was a household name right you know um but i guess like you know what what is a supermodel versus like a regular model? Like where does this start? And, and is, is this where it really gains traction or was it around before this? I mean, I think there were definitely, you know, uh, models that um, were well known and were used a lot. I think when you become a supermodel is when you almost have like your crossover event or you're, you know, you're very much tied to the culture. So when you think about Twiggy, I mean, her body type and her look, like those big eyes, mm-hmm. that sixties kind of look. She, you know, she was booked a lot because she had the look that was in fashion at the time. And so when you're everywhere, you know, then you're the model of the moment. I don't know. I mean, yeah, we all know that the Janice Dickinson thing of like, oh, I coined the phrase supermodel. We all know that's bullshit, Janet. Janet <laughs> Janice did a lot of drugs. But um because there were I in fact I I had looked it up before, and I think that the term had kind of been coined before her. I don't know if it was applied to anyone per se, but yeah, like Twiggy um, was a was a big model. But then, like you think of like you know like like a Paulina Poritzkova, like a Christy Brinkley, Lauren Hutton Lauren was Hutton, yeah. was on covers a lot. I mean, if you look at old Vogues, um, in fact, uh, one of my favorite fashion and pop culture sites go fug yourself with the fug girls mm-hmm. from um you know who used to do television without pity uh recaps um they do uh vogue retrospectives 
for like mm. each month. So it'll be like, let's look at the old Vogues for November from like 1922. And you know, a lot of that was you know more illustration. But you know, you'll see certain models used all the time in the 80s. And Paulina is one of them. And you know, um, others that I'm blinking on right now. And yeah, like Elle McPherson. Uh, well, um, yeah, but she wasn't like a, cu- she was like a sports illustrated model. Yeah, yeah. So there's a term. So what you'll hear, and actually I know you've got America's Next Top Model on this outline, but like there's commercial models, which mm-hmm. are kind of more like your sports illustrated models, which are more, you're, they're curvier. Yeah. They're, they're, it's almost like, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say what I was going to say because it was insulting. But anyway, like commercial, more like commercial, like general market type of modeling. And then you've got couture modeling Mm -hmm. or high fashion modeling. And typically they didn't used to be the same. And I think if you look at someone like Cindy Crawford, she could do both, Mm -hmm. you know, because she, and I think it's because she was so approachable. She was very like, you know, girl next door type of, you know, person. And so, and she had personality and, Whatever. So I think, anyway, I think what makes a supermodel, I think you start in the world of couture and you get booked and booked and booked and booked. You walk a lot of shows, you land a lot of shoots, you, you know, land a lot of covers. If you develop good relationships with well-known photographers and they're using you a lot, I think, you know, you're, you're just working a lot. You're the top part, like a Giselle Bundchen. Mm -hmm. Like she, I wouldn't want to listen to her talk ever. But like she can, she walks like a gazelle. I mean, she, she's, she was everywhere. She was, she's a supermodel. So, but I think around this time, this is when I think this video, I think the reason why people who like meet Linda Evangelista for the first time and talk about the videos, because I think for a lot of people, if you weren't paying attention to fashion, you had no idea who those people were, except Cindy Crawford. Right. But you, you had no idea who those other people were because they weren't doing swimsuit calendars you know and stuff like that like they weren't doing that the trinity was not doing that well yeah and i was thinking about i was thinking about that because i was thinking about how the experience of like you know how you knew a model's name was when when we were younger and and you mentioned sports illustrated and for i think most um straight guys our age that's that's why you knew who pauline porscova was or christy brinkley kathy ireland and cheryl teagues and um l mcpherson um, Rachel Hunter, mm-hmm. Stephanie Seymour would be in the, uh, yeah. November rain video, of course. Um, right. Helena Christensen, I don't think was a sports illustrated model. I think she was, um, and then I think the only other model whose name I would recognize back then would be Amon because it's just such a well, striking name and she was Bowie, married to David Bowie. And, yeah. But, um, I don't know, like, so how, so, so I knew, so a lot of me and people like me back in the late eighties, early nineties knew who models were because of just you know, the male gaze that is the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit. Well, and also cosmetics contracts. Yeah. A lot of times, if you didn't know them from, if they didn't do Sports Illustrated, if you didn't know them from Sports Illustrated, you probably saw them in the 50 million Revlon CoverGirl, L'Oreal. And those CoverGirl commercials, commercials, it was the same commercial over and over. You just swap out the actress or model you were using. But they always put the model, the thing you you saw in magazines and on commercials, they put the model's name Name on it. So that's how, you know, you'd learn it. You could learn it that way. So is that how you knew who these people were? I mean, like how, you know, as as a girl growing up, you know, how do you, how do you get into fashion? You know? So it's funny. I I saw that question on the outline you gave me. Um, And, Thank you for the outline. Yeah. Um, I I was trying to think of when I first really started loving clothes. And honestly, I think I just loved clothes 
ever since I knew what clothes were. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, I love fashion. I think when I really started loving like fashion mm-hmm. was when, um, I started, uh, my mom got me 17 magazine when mm-hmm. I was like okay. a tween. So I started getting it, I think when I was like 11 or 12 and you, so, uh, you know, you start to see, you know, when they're running features and they're talking about like, you know, who's this hot new designer, Gianni Versace, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. But I'd say around like my tweens is when I really started to learn like what brands were, what the mm-hmm. look of a brand was. My mom bought her first Gucci bag when I was like 10. Mm. So I've known what Gucci is for a long time. I've known what Chanel is for a long time. And I think I got my first Vogue when I was 10, uh, you know, or whatever. And so you just learn, I don't know, you start with someone telling you about it and then you learn more about it. And then I guess I was lucky to be a tween when fashion and pop culture were starting to mesh more like when house of style came on mtv yeah like that's how i learned who todd oldham was that was the first time i saw todd oldham it was the first time i saw isaac mizrahi it was the first time i saw a number of like the kind of younger generation come up and then um i think you remember fashion television which yes. used to run on vh1 and had you are my obsession by, <laughs> by emotion as the theme and song. And they ported it over when the Style Channel yes. watched it. used to get rerun a lot, too. Well, it used to run on VH1. Mm-hmm. And so I would watch that. And basically, it was just, here's the fashion shows from Milan, and then you'd see who was walking. Mm. So, you know, I mean, for me, it was... I started to learn, like, who designers were at a pretty young age because we were bougie. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because, because when I, I think that, that most guys our age in the early nineties would not have known who, um, who maybe they would have seen the name Versace. I think if, if you asked our average person, the average guy, our age in high school, who was, you know, your typical hetero guy may it to name a fashion designer, maybe Calvin Klein would have come out of their mouths, you know, like right. they were very because few, of Brooke Shields, because of, Brooke Shields and and because of, of at that time you had the obsession for men and ads and, you know, well, CK one, CK one, who did yeah. we not know in high school? Yeah. Who and, didn't and, have CK1? and some of the, and, and then, you know, some people might've known some of the, some of the menswear things, but for honestly, they were, they were still wearing Nike Adidas and starter and, but, and, and, you know, brands for, for a lot of us as well, even if we didn't know the high fashion labels were the, were whatever store at the mall was there. So, you know, but no, I think I, I just, I wanted to ask you that because again, there was no, there was no 17 or YM for guys that, you know, you, a lot of guys just read sports illustrated or rolling stone or spin mm-hmm. more than likely. But that was, that was music and pop culture. And I know 17 and YM because my sister used to get YM, um, did a lot of pop culture. So, so did, um, sassy. Yes. You know, so, so there's a lot of crossover there, but we didn't have, there was no like kind of magazine aimed at teen boys in the same way. Mm-hmm. But, but then again, um, I don't know, the consumer habits of teen boys and teen girls in the early 90s were, were very, very different in, in some ways than they are now. Yeah. And House of Style, so this was not a show I ever watched, but I know you watched it pretty religiously. So, I So what was, I mean, what was an episode of that like? Because I know, I know Cindy Crawford was hosting it. Was it, was, was it kind of like a Entertainment Tonight type of show or... Yeah, so no, it, it wasn't. It was, um, sorry, I was looking up some Biggie lyrics, which I will refer to in okay. a minute. Sorry, that's what I was looking for. Um, so um, 
it, it was really eclectic because sometimes it would just be Cindy being like, hey, this is House of Style. And there would be just these like some were pre-taped segments. Some were her like talking to models that there's a famous shoot that she does with Helmut Newton, who's a photographer famous photographer. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, these images get reposted on, like, 90 supermodel Instagram accounts and, like, nostalgia accounts all the time. I remember she took the film crew on that shoot while he was shooting her. And I still remember that segment of the show. And now these are images that are, like, you know, vintage Cindy Crawford helmet <laughs> Newton. I'm like, oh, God, I'm like a crone. But, um... So sometimes it would be that, and sometimes it would be talking to up-and-coming designers, and sometimes it would be like, what's this trend? What's the rockabilly trend or whatever? And they would talk to people who embodied that style. That was the series when I first saw footage of the Todd Oldham Interiors runway show, which is quite possibly one of my favorite couture lines ever, Mm. in which basically Todd Oldham was like, I was inspired by interior design, and everything looks like it could be... There's a famous mini dress that looks like a gilded mirror. Anyway, oh, interesting. And I think I've said that before on the show. Sorry, I'm a That's okay. I'm, I'm a creature of habit. Yeah. But so it, it could be, yeah. And and then you know she, you know, sometimes she, I think she interviewed like Will Smith one time on the set of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So like they would talk to celebrities too. And I think that's when you started to see like or that or she. There was one segment where Simon LeBon and John Taylor went to a Sears. And went like shopping at Sears, and there's a they go and try on like these house dresses. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta find the. the clip. <laughs> I'll see if I can find the clip and put it in the show notes. So a lot of it was sort of this meshing of like these worlds of like music and and entertainment and fashion, and I think it really kind of spread the message of like fashion isn't just like for you know old ladies who lunch; it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. And things started to get, you know, more attainable. I think that's when you saw designers doing diffusion lines and accessory lines. Mm-hmm. So in the, um, and I think one of the other things I think that started to spread it is hip hop because hip hop loves to drop names. And so like there's in the remix of one more chance, I was like, I knew there were these things. There's this line where it's like, I don't know what the hell is stopping you. I'm clocking you. Versace shades watching you. Like, so he, you know, that's him, you know, wrap it at faith or whatever. But like, and I just totally bungled that. Sorry, I'm tired. But, um, you know, that's around the time when yeah. Biggie Smalls is talking about like Versace mm-hmm. sunglasses. Yeah. So, and that wasn't that many years after Freedom 90. So it accelerated. Yeah, because he was ready to. Pretty quickly. Ready to die was what, 94? Yeah. Yeah, so. Ish, 94, yeah, 94, 94. Yeah. So. Anyway, so yeah. sorry. I no, just no, no. Out. You're going to have to edit. No, that's really good. Actually, because I was, I was thinking about, because earlier today I was trying to think about, like, you know, I was thinking about the video and I was thinking about how, what I was saying about the video, how, like, um, when you think of, and when you think of, like, metal videos from this time, there are a lot of, of beautiful looking women, but they're all, like, they're all arm candy. They're all nameless, objectified arm candy. You do get that with hip hop videos. I was about 90s. to say, you know, you've so got rap video well. girls, yeah. or like, rap, like they used to say, rap video hoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which you know, ho if you want, I don't care. But um, yeah, I mean, I think anytime there's that's what that's what I mean by more mass market commercial mm-hmm. versus couture. Yeah, you know, like you could be a pretty girl or you could be an exquisite girl. Yeah, or man. Or, you know, whatever, or boy. Um, 
And there's a difference. There's a difference between like attractive, pretty, you know, if you've got big enough boobs and a small enough dress, you can go in this video and you can refuse to get out of bed unless you get ten thousand dollars. Yeah. And there's just a big difference. So there is still I mean, of course there's still that arm's length between fashion and the masses. Mm -hmm. But this is around the time I think designers are thinking bigger in terms of like how do we get our name in front of more people. Gianni Versace, actually it was Donatella that pushed Gianni to think more about how do you get, you know, how do you have your name out? Like, how do you get over to America? She's the one who convinced him to get the Trinity to model in his shows. He wanted still very skinny, like human coat hangers to Mm -hmm. hang his dresses on. And she was like, no, we need, you know, we need the big name so that people will pay attention to our brand. Mm -hmm. And she's the one who went over and wined and dined, you know, the, the Trinity to come and be in these shows. And Donatella was the one who went and like, you know, schmoozed with Elton John, schmoozed with Princess Diana. Like, I mean, there's a reason why, I mean, you know, she had a very good mind for like the market and what it needed to be. Versace was one of the first lines to start to do accessories and, and home goods and stuff like that. So again, that was more about taking something that used to be very couture, mm-hmm. handmade, like you or only in like the finest, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue, Neiman Marcus, whatever. And, you know, anybody can walk into a department store and buy Versace sunglasses. Well, and, and if, I have, if I remember just off the top of my head, Versace ads from around the time or the Gianni Versace's height, they feel younger and they feel cooler yeah in a sense like there even the ads themselves stood out now just there's two the the, there's actually two films that i think um we've 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 kind of touched on them here and there in in past episodes we talked about but i think two films that i think of fashion and the intersection of film and pop culture one is truth or dare Mm-hmm. Because and and you mentioned Gautier and then he designed all of her costumes for the Blonde Ambition tour and I have to imagine that upped his 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 name. I mean, it's not like he was unknown by then, but before then, from what right. I understand. But still, I mean, people knew who he was. But again, partnering with a pop culture icon, yeah, that's I mean, that's what allowed him to make perfume and sell perfume mm-hmm. and yeah. you know that yeah. uh, you know he again very much a couture kooky french dude yeah she wears his stuff on tour and in that movie and um you know the cone bra the cone bra are like, the you know, thing yeah, it became like, a punchline but at the same time it's like you can't that put him you, on yeah, the i was map. gonna say you, that that type of exposure yeah um and then of course the i think it was 95 when unzip comes out which is a very um, almost truth or dare esque intimate look at Isaac Mizrahi, mm-hmm. who was at the time, if I'm now you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe he was up and coming at the time because this yeah. was like his first big show. I think it was New York Fashion Week. Right. Yeah. And, and what's funny is I think at the be- at the very beginning, he's got this idea for his line kind of based on like Nanook of the North. Yes. And he ends up having to completely switch it because I think Gautier apparently also is doing something inspired by the same look, the same yeah. kind of look, like yeah. lots of fur, lots of wintry type of stuff. Yeah. And so he like, he has to completely scrap everything he was about to do for New York fashion week and come up with a completely new line. Yeah. And then trying to come up with a concept and everything else. Um, and at that point, you know, the Trinity was 
was kind of everybody knew. Like if you could get the Trinity or part of the Trinity or whoever to model in your show, you were worth paying attention to. And yeah. they're they are in the movie. Yeah. Um Well and the other thing I remember it being, at least as far as as far as the uh, aesthetic of the fashion show, and I don't know if he came up with this, but it was something that like he was very passionate about was that that was the show where you have this scrim. Yes. And you can see it's almost like an open kitchen concept. You can see them in yeah. shadow getting ready for yeah. the show getting they changed come out. and everything and, yeah um, cuz he wanted it to look like backstage at like a ballet mm-hmm. that was yeah, yeah it was his idea well and he has i mean granted it's almost a bit of trivia that like you know if you ever watched the movie fame he's in one of the audition scenes yes. in a court jester costume and that's I literally screamed out loud when i <laughs> when i realized who that was yes but he but he was one of those and and, and he shows up on a judge on project runway every once in a while he used to have his own like talk that. show on the style network yeah like in the early aughts late 90s like very late 90s early aughts because i remember watching it in my first apartment and that was 99 slash 2000 so he on the Style Network he had his own like talk show. Yeah. So we get into the um, we go through that and we, we and and I'm trying to think of the the late '90s because the late '90s partially because we're in an economic boom by then, so people can afford. And and I think the, I, I'm glad and I think your mentioning of accessories is like really important to that because accessories like bags and jewelry and perfume. I mean, we'd have to do the economic breakdown. I can imagine they sell as much, if not more, than some of the um, clothes because you don't need to be a size two to carry around a Gucci bag, you know? Why you know, do that. you think I've been obsessed with bags and shoes my entire <laughs> life? My, I have been a size 20, and I have been a size 8. Mm-hmm. My shoes, my shoe size, and the ability to hold a bag have never changed. <laughs> There's a reason why a lot of women love bags and yeah, shoes. Yeah, well, and and I mean, the internet has been a godsend for anybody with big feet too. I will say that as somebody who wears a size 13 shoe and had to buy sneakers that were available back in high school. Not anymore. Aside the point, yeah, but but we get into the late 90s and. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because we we're just, and, and sometimes I wonder if I look at this the, to, through the lens of nostalgia and the fact that this was kind of our formative years of high school and college. But I remember Victoria's Secret going from being just kind of this lingerie catalog that, like, you know, would come in the mail every once in a while because my parents got every damn catalog. Oh, yeah. Demand. It's, everybody did. And, you know, and, and I would flip through. Yeah, um, well, and, why not? and, um, but going to be like, one of the biggest stores in the mall and the, the, the fashion, like to the point where teen girls were wearing, um, the, the body wash and, and the, mm-hmm. the body lotion and stuff. And then the, the Victoria's Secret fashion show becoming a televised event. And I don't think they've done it for a couple of years, but there was a point where like you had Heidi Klum and, um, I know Stephanie Seymour, like the whole angels thing. Yeah. Um, and I just remember that from the late nineties, as well as people like, um, I remember Rebecca Romain from the, from the swimsuit issue. I remember Tyra Banks. Although the funny thing was, is the first time I ever saw Tyra Banks in anything, it was in the, um, John Singleton movie, Higher Learning. But then I saw her on the cover of Sports Illustrated, um, about a year after that. Yeah. So I first saw Tyra Banks in Seventeen Magazine because she was Mm -hmm. a teen model in Seventeen. And so it was Cameron Diaz. And so was Nikki Taylor's Nikki sister, Taylor. Christy. Christy. Ta- well, Nikki too, but then yeah. Chrissy Taylor, yeah. R.I.P., was also 
Um, so like a lot of these younger models were kind of coming up through mm-hmm. 17. So again, that was another thing because then when I saw Ty, when you saw Tyra in the too funky video, you were like, Oh, I know who Tyra is. Cause uh-huh. I've seen Tyra in 17 for a couple of years. Yeah. So, you know, the first time I saw her on something kind of public was the too funky video. Mm-hmm. Cause they were almost trying to recreate that freedom. Yeah, vibe, trying, except yeah. everybody got their own Chiron, yeah. which you didn't get in the freedom video yeah. because you already knew who they were. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but yeah, um, I guess the only the only other one the only other fashion model who I have not mentioned or we haven't mentioned yet from the '90s who who is a huge name would probably be Kate Moss. She was later though. She was in the mid '90s though. Yeah, she was not. She was not this early '90s, but she kind of did. She replace them in terms of the way people looked. I mean, she. I know her look was kind of influential. It was controversial. It was controversial, certainly. Well, Kate Moss is an outlier. I think that's what a lot of people need to remember. Kate Moss is five seven, mm-hmm. which is almost unheard of for a model. That is short. Mm-hmm. And she was. Um, she broke through with Calvin Klein. So the, here's a, br- a major, massive American brand yeah. taking a chance on this, like, wafy, you know, British model. And I think, again, whether it's nostalgia or whatever, I think this cross-section of what was happening in the 90s where, you know, if you look at the early, even into the mid-90s, you know, we're coming out of a recession. Yeah. We're coming out of a war. Mm-hmm. There's all this consciousness around, like, you know eco-consciousness, Earth Day, um, you've got the rise of, you've got the death of metal and the rise of grunge. Yeah. Well, the death of hair metal, the rise of grunge. Mm-hmm. You've got the rise of hip-hop. You've got the, you know, and but you've still got these superstars. So everything yeah. is kind of like in this big mix of mm-hmm. stuff. Because then you've also got, I mean, like Celine Dion started yeah. getting popular in the early yeah. to mid-90s. I mean, so you've got Brilliant. all this stuff. And film is kind of changing because you've got the rise of Miramax in the way that it Oh, right, too, yeah, 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 but I know, but true, what, no, but no, story. exactly. Yeah. You've got like, so I think you know when you've got this grunge thing, you know, Kate kind of, you know, ushered in this whole thought of like heroin shake. Mm-hmm. That's what it was called, and you know, it was like kind of wayfish and lots of black and white and lots of grunge. Although it's funny to me because another designer that we haven't mentioned is Mark Jacobs, mm-hmm. and he his first. Well, he started at Celine, the house of Celine, not Celine Dion, like the brand Celine. And then um, when he had, when he finally launched his own collection, his first collection was very much grounded in like that punky grunge kind of look. And then another one we're not giving credit to is Anna Sui, which if you were a teen girl in the 90s, you wanted an Anna Sui baby doll dress. So she kind of had the whole, and Betsy Johnson. I was, gonna say, I was just about to mention I Betsy mean, Johnson as well. God, we should, we should talk about some of because there were, were a few women designers who really made it big in the 90s as well. Betsy Johnson, you had a Betsy Johnson dress for a while. I did have a Betsy Johnson dress, and I got it on like clearance because we went to the Betsy Johnson store uh, with my mom, and I fell in love, not with the dress I have, but with the another dress, and my mom like flipped out because it was $400. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, again, it's Donna's fault. I love fashion. But anyway, um, so, and they all kind of had this, like, kind of kooky, punk kind of aesthetic. And then it really started to just, I don't know, it just kind of started, like, pare down. And, again, like, there's something to be said for that sociological and cultural crossroads of, like, heroin starts to become a really bad problem. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you've got fashion saying, yes, that's a bad problem, but look at how beautifully gaunt and skinny those people are when they're dying in an alley. 
let's make that a look. Yeah. And, you know, then it gets problematic. But, you know, I think a lot of people wrote her off unfairly because now we've seen she can model anything just like any of the other models. She turned out to be very versatile when yeah. I think people didn't think she was going to when she first came on Yeah, because at one point she was the face of, I think, Rimmel, the yeah. makeup, it's a makeup and she's, company, right? Yeah, it, yeah. it is. It's a UK um, makeup company, and they've got... Um, she actually has a line of stuff named after her mm-hmm. at Rimmel. Yeah. So I was thinking about, as we get into the 2000s especially, you know, supermodels are still appearing on the covers of magazines, obviously, and they're still doing runway shows. And a lot of the women who were like the five who were in the video and um, other ones that we've mentioned, they still work mm-hmm. because they just they just age into another, into another company. Like Christy Brinkley is still doing catalogs and she's in her... 60s, I think, at this yeah. point, you know, and she's been doing catalogs. And Nikki Taylor's doing like Talbots, Talbots, and stuff like that, you know. And so, it's, so it's they great. just they just model more mature stuff. But like, you know, you you establish yourself so well, and your career longevity is like, you know, yeah. Not not that they don't work for it, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. they have that they to be a veteran supermodel is is really really impressive. But um, there is this thing where like movie stars tend to start making a comeback. In a big way, um, because I mean, how many times has Jennifer Lawrence been on the cover of Vogue? I mean, you know, right. and, and or Jennifer Lopez, you know, J Lo is an example of, of somebody who was making a lot of just being on a lot of covers of magazines that were occupied by supermodels. Well, and, yeah, I mean, I think th- there was definitely a shift as you got more into the late nineties, early aughts, where mm-hmm. yeah, you started to move away from model o- covers being reserved for models only, mm-hmm. and being replaced by actresses and find, you know, them finding like the it girl act, like Dakota Fanning, Elle yeah. Fanning. How many times has Elle Fanning been on something? Like, you know, kind of finding like a young ingenue mm-hmm. and putting her, or like a Rihanna, yeah. like a, a, or Beyonce, if you could land Beyonce, like that's a whole rigmarole. <laughs> Beyonce um, calls you. <laughs> well, and she calls the shots, like with, I mean. Well, to her credit, she should. But well, right. and to her credit, when she was on the cover of Vogue, uh, I think it was last year because time has lost all meaning this year, you know, she advocated for, I get to pick the photographer. Mm-hmm. I get to have control. And she hired Vogue's first ever black cover photographer. Yeah. Think of how long Vogue has been around. It oh took, yeah. It took Beyonce to get a black photographer for the cover of Vogue. Which is a travesty. I mean, not, no, I'm glad that she did, but it's a travesty. That it is a travesty. Just for two reasons. One, you should be hiring more, people of color for your photographers and two. Um, and we've seen, we've heard this on, on keep it. We've seen it in on, on social media and everything. When you, when you are not, when you're hiring somebody who is, who, who is not African American to shoot. They don't know how to shoot. They don't know how to shoot. They don't know how to like them. And, and poor Simone Biles. Yeah. That cover was atrocious. So, um, but yeah, so, and, and the thing was, mentioned Sports Illustrated and the late 90s and early 2000s saw the rise of when you're talking about commercial stuff the slightly lower tier celebrity in magazines like Maxim and FHM and stuff like that which were details details and gear I think was the one that was published by Spin the lad mags yeah the lad mags and these were they were very cheesecakey in some way but they were very like they were they were essentially like the beer commercials of the early 90s it was just you TNA all over the place and and people shouldn't wonder why the boys of that era were so misogynistic in so many ways because it was just being visibly being thrown at them well in a big and the way. Fe- they were told to object well to and the third wave feminism around yeah. them was like you know well if I say I own it 
and I go do that yeah. kind of photo shoot, well then I say like I like it. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, if you enjoy being objectified, that's fine, but it's yeah. not feminism. But it's and it's it, what's interesting. There's like uh, the the women who were the, the actresses, and they were usually younger. So like um, like Megan Fox or Jessica Biel mm-hmm. or or. I remember Melissa Hart was I was actually considered controversial because she was playing such a wholesome Archie Comics character. But you know, like actresses like that, it was almost the late nineties equivalent of when you were like showing some skin in a music video in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, so but because I was just kind of thinking about like you know how again how were men and boys kind of introduced to this you know fashion itself, high fashion itself. Like you said, it was more mainstream by the nineties because you could go to the mall and you go to a boutique store. Uh, especially if you lived in a, oh, I mean, granted, it's, this is all privileged talking because if you if you lived in, say, Northern Virginia and you went to the Galleria Mall at Tyson's, because there's the two Tyson's mm-hmm. Corner Center, you had the, there was a Neiman Marcus there, yeah. you know, um, and if you went to one of the higher end malls out of Long Island, like Roosevelt Field, they, they, you know, there probably was a, some of the more higher end stores, jewelry wise, like Tiffany was out there and then, right. you know, and, and Although, it became more common. When we were teenagers, I mean, the it's kind of it's kind of quaint now because like the hot bag to have when you were in high school at our age was like a coach bag <laughs> like a small coach yeah. bag i have coach bags from when i was a teenager my wallet today does not even fit in so like that's why i i like a big bag um and so yeah, yeah like a baby backpack or something so like coach so you know if you're in that like middle class tier you still weren't buying couture for yourself you probably weren't even buying versace sunglasses Mm -hmm. because that was still the domain of like celebrities but you could if you wanted like you could you know the brands we were wearing that were like oh that's a nice brand was like express yeah limited gap you know stuff like that we were still buying like mall brands but again you know because of my mom i knew one day i'd have i'd want xyz like it's still yeah. the stuff you wanted it's just well, you weren't necessarily wearing it because you were 15 yeah well and not only that um this just kind of this will segue into the next thing uh the last couple of little topics here um there was a show on the style network in the mid-2000s called the look for less and it yeah. was hosted by for at least a few seasons emmy. Ago, uh emmy and then but and then it was hosted by um joanna from um who won america's next top model oh okay what, and the idea That's was right. And the idea was um, that you took a signature look or you took a high-concept, high-fashion, just very expensive mm-hmm. look like a Versace or, or mm-hmm. a, um, Michael Kors or yeah, whatever, yeah. and you went to the mall and you you bought something that looked enough like it, so you were kind of aping it, but you could do it affordably. And the whole idea was that you know you could look... And people do this all the time. Mm-hmm. They're, they're wearing they're wearing something that they got at Target, and yet they just look, you know, put together and well, stuff like that. So and before that, that even existed, the person who like really made that famous was Sharon Stone. Mm-hmm. She wore a Gap turtleneck to the Oscars. Yeah. The next year, she wore a Vera Wang ball skirt and her husband's white button down. Yeah. I mean, and someone who recently, who I love, who did that very well was Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. Mixed a lot of high and mid end. I mean, she'd wear J. Crew and Talbots, and then she'd wear, you God, know, Ver- God, that, Versa- <laughs> that Versace dress that she wore for the last state dinner 
Mm-hmm. It was for Italy. And so she wore this Versace gunmetal gray dress that I can close my eyes and picture it. And it was perfection. Yes. So, you know, she mixed things really well. But anyway, yeah. that has nothing to do with the 2000s. But but I was going to bring up America's Sex Not Model, too. Okay. Yeah. And, and the kind of mainstreaming of a lot of, a lot of this to the point where it the was world like of entertaining yeah. the world of fashion. Yeah. You had America's Next Top Model and then... Um, in around, I think, like, I think it was 2005 is when Project Runway mm-hmm. premiered and that's still going. And then you've got now, you've got Next in Fashion on Netflix and you've got Making the Cut on Prime yeah. featuring Heidi and Tim. And then, and then you've got these people who become household names around fashion. You've got Tim Gunn, you've got Heidi Klum, uh, you know, you've got Christian Siriano, yeah. you know, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, you kind of start with Freedom 90 where it's like, oh, these, I'm learning who these models are. Mm-hmm. And then it moves into like someone like a Cindy Crawford who really, I mean, she was a supermodel because she just had so many, she was in so, she was in the public eye in so many different ways. I mean, like she married to Richard Gere, modeling career, workout videos, which I still own. Those things are legit. You should buy them. <laughs> um, Pepsi ad, Revlon yeah. contract. Charlie Perfume with that notoriously, you know, terrible um, duet with uh, Ray Charles. Like, there, I mean, she was everywhere. Host of House of Style. Like, she really became a household name. And so, you, you it kind of, I, th- I would say that's probably the crest mm-hmm. of, like, you know, someone coming from modeling, couture modeling, getting that mass commercial appeal. And then even today, I mean, like, her daughter's a model. Her husband's best friends with George Clooney, and they have that tequila brand. I mean, like, she's still making Ugab. She still models. Yeah. But yeah, and Naomi is still... And Naomi's just Naomi. And Christy Turlington does a lot of advocacy work. She's married to Ed Burns. But actually, nobody ever seems to remember that, which is fine, because nobody gives a shit about Ed Burns. Nobody seems to remember Ed Burns. (laughs) I honestly don't know what Tatiana (laughs) Patisse does. What's been interesting, though, is that a lot of these models, like a Yasmin Gori or like a Veronica Webb, especially, uh-huh. a lot of them have Instagram. And like Veronica Webb will tell kind of like war stories from being a model mm. in the 90s and, you know, about, you know, the dark side of it. Mm. And so I think it's it's kind of, for me, it's, I feel like it's coming full circle where like all this stuff that was like part of my like younger adolescence is now, you know, you're seeing them kind of tell, you know, what it was really like, or this, the fact that it's like this nostalgia, like there's this account on Instagram called 90 supermodels. Mm. And it's, I mean, every time they post something, I'm like, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. And so now it's just, and now, like you said, now it's our entertainment. Yeah. You know, now it's just been, now it's just part of the culture. Well, yeah. And the other, the other, so 90 supermodels, teen time machine is another great Instagram account to, to follow because they always post old clips from, um, old teen magazines from the seventies and nineties. Um, Velvet Coke is another one. (laughs) She's always posting stuff from different eras. You follow a number of, I, I follow, um, I follow mostly, if, if I'm following anybody famous, it's usually like an actor or actress or comic book person or somebody like that. So I don't follow a lot of models on, on Insta, but you do follow a fair amount of models. And I, I was thinking about how, you know, another documentary we've watched, which is fascinating, was the September issue. Mm-hmm. And I know that Anna Wintour is still Anna Wintour, but do you feel that her being the arbiter of everything is kind of now waning because of things like social media and that like people who wouldn't have had the chance to get any exposure are, and I'm not talking about 
asshole influencers. I'm talking about like actual models and designers and people who are, you know, working for the, for the stuff and getting their stuff out there. Do you feel that it's becoming more democratized or is, is, I think, so there's, there's a couple things going on now that I think are really, um, I think worth paying attention to. One is I, there is a bunch of shit going on at Condé Nast with, um, I think the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and the Me Too movement and what mm-hmm. have you. I mean, like there was a whole blow up at Bon Appetit this year. Yeah. The editor in chief had to resign because he had a picture surfaced of him, you know, wearing brown face. And there had already been rumblings about how the writers of color on the staff didn't get paid as much. And, and you know, a bunch of shenanigans, shenanigans is a flip word for it. I don't mean it to be. It's just, I'm trying not to curse as much. Um, and so, and you know, Anna Wintour, because she's been with Condé Nast for so long, like she is like a, she is, she is an editor of Bon Appetit or she is like a consulting or creative director or something. And so, I can't see Anna ever getting like fired, but you know, that, that role of the arbiter, I think the person who's doing really interesting work right now, well, you've got the new um, editor in chief of Vanity Fair, who mm-hmm. is a woman of color. You've got um, Edward Enifel, who is the editor in chief of British Vogue. Um, and he is a black man, mm-hmm. black, black gay man. If I'm, if I'm correct, I hope I'm correct. And he is doing really beautiful, innovative work. On British Vogue. And British Vogue is starting, in my mind personally, I think is starting to eclipse American Vogue in terms mm-hmm. of really having your finger on the pulse of what's important, not only in fashion, but just in general. I mean, I'm not trying to say it's like, you know, NPR or anything, but like, <laughs> I think he, yeah. he does a really graceful, beautiful job of like me- meshing social consciousness with fashion and like, uh-huh. what does it, what does fashion mean? Like, you know, racism in fashion, like the whole, you know, Gucci debacle. Oh God, and yeah. then, you know, eventually doing the collaboration with Dapper Dan and, you know, all this other stuff. And so, um, and in fact, the cover model of British Vogue this month is Kate Moss. Yeah. And so Edward's done a, a fantastic job with that, with that publication. And I think um, if you're going to read a Vogue, read British Vogue personally. Well, yeah, and, and it's good to hear, especially considering print has been dying for so long. So magazines as themselves have to reinvent themselves. They're going to stay alive. And Vogue has been around, as, in itself has been around for about 130 years. Right. Um, but yeah, but like, so that's really good. And then, and then fashion, you're talking about nostalgia. It's also becoming, it, it's not patent becoming, it has become even more and more just art exhibit worthy. Um, mm-hmm. we went, now this goes back two or three years now, but we went to the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts because they had a traveling exhibit with, um, on a retrospective of Yves Saint Laurent. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, which was, I mean, again, like, was just amazing. And then when we were in, we missed the McQueen exhibit, the Met up in New York. But when we were in Quebec a couple of years ago, they had that whole London exhibit. So they had, um, on display, um, a, a couple of McQueen dresses. Mm-hmm. And then I think there were some Mary Quant dresses and, and mm-hmm. some other things like that. So the idea that like, you know, and then the, that Versace, Elizabeth Hurley Versace yeah. dress is on display at the Met. At the Met. In, um, in New York City. So. Well, that's on a whole section about like the, the cultural rel- uh, relevance of the Medusa yeah. iconography. Yeah. So, so it's become, it, it, it's, it's cool to see it respected as an art form as well as consumable. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess I'm trying to think of wrapping up. I think we've done a really, really good job. I would recommend going in the, the documentaries that we've 
mentioned. What was the one about the Met Gala? The first Monday in May. The first Monday in May. Okay, that is the September issue unzipped, and I can never recommend Truth or Dare enough. Yeah. And then I would say, as a companion to Truth or Dare, the documentary we watched about the, the male dancers oh, yeah. who what had been in um, in the the Truth or Dare yeah. um, uh, movie. So, like, you know, they everybody got to know the dancers as well as yeah. Madonna, and so they did a... Um, it's on Netflix, but it's a it's a documentary about like what happened to them after the tour was over. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, as far as George Michael is concerned, just kind of bring it back to the beginning and, and wrap up. Um, Faith is still an album that holds up really, really well. What I remember hearing off of listening to that Purchase Volume One, which is like basically the two or three songs that charted, mm-hmm. mainly this one. This should be somewhere in your music collection. This yeah. song, as it is, and then there's stuff off of stuff like Older and some of his later albums that are still. Mm-hmm. really really good even though it never really he never really achieved the height that he did and then his kind of tabloid his arrests for marijuana and hook it up with the dude in the bathroom, bathroom and things yeah. like that tended to eclipse his career and sadly he passed away um was it 2015 2016? relatively re- it was, recently yeah, I was like 20, I think it was 2017, 2018, because I think he and Carrie Fisher died within a day of each other mm. or around the same, around yeah. the same day. Mm-hmm. So, which is, which is sad because his, uh, he was an immensely talented performer. His live performance of Somebody to Love at the Freddie yeah. Mercury Tribute Concert is still just absolutely amazing. And he had this um, amazing cover, live cover, a duet with Elton John. Yeah. Don't. Don't, Don't let, let the sun, sun go down, go down on, on me. me. Yeah. So if you only know George Michael from Wham and the people I know who don't like Last Christmas who try to avoid it. <laughs> but I would I suggest <laughs> I listen would, to the original Freedom. Yeah. That's a there's a great like I know it's it's funny because it's that kind of weird time in the eighties when producers were having British groups come out kind of sounding like Motowny. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of like Yeah, like them and there was like that when Smokey sings ABC. song, yeah, yeah ABC, ABC was sounded Andrew. very Motowny, yeah. and so like a lot of um, make it big sounds like that, like yeah. it sounds like a throwback. But Freedom is great because there's this, that there's that hitch in his voice where you know he says, uh, "I hope that someday, baby, someone says the same to you," and it just like there's this hitch in his voice, like it's so bitter. Even though it's poppy, and I'm just like, I love it. And then like everything she wants is actually in my oh, that's such a mind. Great song. The best song yeah. on the on the album. Careless Whisper skirts the line of cheese, but he... I wouldn't no, say it skirts it. I think it's fully at the fromagerie. <laughs> okay, because I think it's, it's, it's a fun There's song, a saxophone. That saxophone it. solo is pretty cheesy. It is a bit of a cheesy saxophone solo. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it is kind of softcore porn. Guilty feet have got no rhythm, dude. <laughs> All right, I was being generous. Don't but um, one more try, Father Figure Off Faith. One more try is my favorite yeah, song on, um, the, on the album. Uh, and then um, Faith in itself is a good song. Skip the bastardization of that song that Limp Bizkit did in the late Oh, 90s. gross. No, and I then, don't want to think about Fred Durst. And then this video, this song, I mean, it, it is rightfully iconic. And you know, but yeah. no, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this. This was this was fun, and it's it's fun to kind of veer into a topic that I don't usually cover, not music, but fashion. You know, even yeah. though we both have watched every just about every season of this Project Runway. Yeah, and... I dra- I drag you into all my fashion <laughs> viewing. Yeah, 
I mean, I was even looking at, we were watching The Crown, and I was even watching yeah. to see, like, how accurately they were replicating the outfits Diana wore. Yeah, that's true. So, I can't help it. Well, that's, what did we do the entire time we would watch Mad Men? If it would get boring, we'd either look at the oh costumes God. or the interior design. Oh, yeah, yeah so. either. I just, yeah. I just like fabric. Yeah, so. All right, well, thank you for coming on. Sure. And I'd like to thank Amanda for coming on. We've got a few ideas knocking around for future episodes that we'd like to put together, and hopefully we'll be able to get a few done next year. As for me, I'll actually be back pretty soon. This episode dropped a little later than I'd originally intended, but I still want to do a holiday-themed episode, so expect that right before Christmas. In the meantime, don't forget to check out the Twitter feed, look at the blog for show notes, and uh, please send feedback. I'm, I'd love to read it on the air. As always... Thanks for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.